Thank you, Brad, for leading our singing today. We appreciate Brad stepping in at the last moment to lead for us today. We appreciate your presence. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3 in verse 9 in a moment or two. I want to just very quickly say that if you had the opportunity to participate in the giving of gifts for the young children at the children's home, then you just have no idea what a blessing you were to a lot of young folks yesterday. I want to extend appreciation to everyone who participated in that really great work. To those who planned and organized yesterday's activities, it was a great, great day. And to see the smiles on those young people's faces, you'll never know how much you blessed the lives of young folks yesterday. And so I appreciate, I applaud you for everything that you did. And hopefully and prayerfully, you made a lot of young people yesterday very, very happy. And, I, well, I know you did. I know you did. I want to apologize. I'm battling a cold, and the jury's out. I'm not sure if I'm going to kill the cold or if it's going to kill me. But I hope I can get through the lesson today. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3. You remember God had a very specific statement to Adam when placing him in the garden. He told him he was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. In Genesis chapter 3, Moses tells us, unfortunately, Adam and Eve did not honor the will of God. As a result of that, Grave consequences ensued. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, God asked Adam a very profound question. Adam, where are you? God knew exactly where Adam was in the garden. The intent behind asking that question was to make Adam think about where he stood in his relationship to God. I think sometimes it's helpful for us to ask the question, where are we in our relationship to God? And maybe more specifically, where are you in your relationship to God? There are three areas I want to appeal to today. As we ask the question, where are you? First, I want you to ask the question with me, where are you physically? Secondly, where are you spiritually? And then thirdly, where will you be eternally? First, we begin by talking about our physical standing. We are right now in the latter stages of fall. In just a few days, we will usher in, the Lord willing, winter. The four seasons of the four seasons as we know them, in many ways, mirror the four seasons of life. Spring represents our birth into this world. 
Summer, that period of adolescence. Fall, adulthood. Winter, the elderly years. Where are you? We have, we have some babies today that are in the spring of life. We have a lot of young folks that are in their summer years. Some of us are in adulthood, others in the twilight of life, in fall. What about the life expectancy in America? Did you know that, statistically speaking, I'm told by CBS News that the average American today lives 78.8 years upon planet Earth. My grandfather died when he was 77. 78 years is a lengthy life. I did some evaluating this past week in looking at years and days as we think about our life expectancy. Did you know that if you are 13 years of age, if you were to live to be 78 years of life, that you have 28, or rather 23,725 days left. Do we have any 13-year-olds here today? If you are 21 years of age, you have 20,805 days left if you live to be 78. If you are 40 years of age, you have 13,870 days left. Age 60, your time is winding down. You have 6,570 days left. If you're age 70, you have 2,920 days left upon planet Earth. Where are you? What season of life are you in today? Biblically speaking, the Bible tells us man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. The brevity of life. As one man said when asked what is the most profound question to be posed to you in life, it is the brevity of life how quickly it gets by us. David said, I was young and now I am old. James writes in James chapter 4, verse 14, that life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while and then he said, it vanishes away. The psalmist in Psalm 89 said many, many years ago, I see that my time is short. What about you? He asked the question, what man can live and not see death? The fact of the matter is, life is winding down for all of us, whether young or old. The Bible has a lot to say about the brevity of life, and so I ask you today, where are you physically in life? Are you in the spring of life? Are you in the summer years? Or rather the summer 
Are you in the fall? What about winter? Think with me, if you would, for just a moment about the question, where are you spiritually? I want to begin by asking this question. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does the Bible have to say about becoming a child of God? The Bible is very direct about how we can become a child of God. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said, Except you believe that I am he, he said, you'll die in your sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. Jesus also said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. So we understand that faith in God, absolutely essential. Repentance of sin, that too, essential. And then to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, just like the eunuch did, recorded by Luke in Acts 8, verse 37. And then we're baptized into Christ. We are immersed in water so that our sins can be forgiven, so that our sins can be washed away. Saul said that he was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. When we obey the gospel, God adds us to the church. We are a part of his family, Acts 2.47. We enjoy all spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1, in verse 3. So based on what the Bible has to say, are you a Christian? Have you done what God says to do to become a child of God? Second question I want to ask you. Are you a faithful Christian? There's a difference in being a Christian and a faithful Christian. Sometimes people wear the title, but they don't live the life. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus chided the scribes and the Pharisees and he said, they say and do not. What he was saying in the long ago is their life didn't, didn't match what they verbalized. So when you say, I'm a Christian, does your life reflect faithfulness to God? Now, in order to determine what is and is not faithfulness, there has to be some type of criteria. There has to be some earmarks that would help us to identify what it means to be a faithful child of God. Now we ask the question, where are you? Where are you spiritually? Where are you in your relationship to God? Number one, are you a Christian? Most important decision you'll ever make in life, not about who you're going to marry one day, not about where you're going to go to college, not about what your profession will be, but are you a child of God? most important decision you'll ever make in life. But secondly, are you a faithful Christian? In order for us to define what it means to be faithful, and you need to understand, Jesus said, be faithful until death, the promise being the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. James 1.12, James said, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. 
So let me just ask a series of questions and you answer them mentally in your mind. And let's just determine whether or not we meet the criterion for faithfulness as outlined by God in his word. Number one, is Jesus first in your life? Is he first? Here's what he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That word first means before anything else. I ask you today, is Jesus first in your life? Is he first? Would you say that Jesus comes before any and everything in your life? If he doesn't, then you're in trouble. You're in grave trouble. Because the Lord said you're to seek him first. That means before anything, before everything else. Let me ask you a second question. Do you study your Bible every day? You see, there has to be some type of criterion to determine whether or not we're faithful to God. And these are just some questions that I'm posing to you, as well as to myself. If we're going to determine what it means to be faithful, then we've got to look at what God has to say in his word, and we've got to use some type of standard to determine whether or not we're faithful to God. So... Do you read and study the Bible every day? The psalmist said that he meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night, Psalm 1-2. The Bible says that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter said in 1 Peter 2-2, As a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Paul said, Study to show yourselves approved unto God. How much do you study the Bible? If you claim to have a relationship with God, but you never open His word unless you come to services, let me tell you what. doesn't say much about your relationship to the Lord. doesn't say that there is this internal yearning to learn more about him, to live more closely to him. Let me ask you a third question. How regularly do you pray to God? The Bible says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. The Bible also says, Pray without ceasing. Jesus said that men ought to always pray and not faint. You get the idea that Jesus intends for us to pray, don't you? So how often do you pray? Do you pray every day? Do you pray every other day? Do you just pray when we come together on the first day of the week or maybe on midweek Bible study? How often do you pray? Next question. Have you grown as a Christian this past year? 
We're about to wind up 2016. This time last year, you were somewhere in your relationship to God. So I want to ask you today, have you grown? Are you stronger today than you were this time last year? Are you more knowledgeable about the Word of God than you were this time last year? Are you more involved in the work of the church than you were this time last year? Again, Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you grown as a Christian? Or would you say that you've just plateaued? In all candor and honesty, you haven't really changed any over the past year. Is it possible you've regressed? In other words, instead of growing, you've gone backwards. Where are you? The Lord asked Adam, where are you? He's asking you today, where are you? What about your Christian influence? Are you influential for the cause of Christ every day? Are you a light in this community and in the world? Did Jesus not say you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world? Look, Jesus didn't say you're a light on Sunday and you live in darkness Monday through Saturday. He never said that. He never intended that. He never intended you, nor did he ever intend for me to just live as I want through the week and not be concerned about how I present myself before others. So when we talk about your Christian influence, and we talk about living the life of a Christian, you remember what, you remember what Peter said? Christ also has suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. We follow his example, but Paul said, be imitators or followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Could you tell people around you that you work with, that you go to school with, that you live in the neighborhood with, could you tell them, look, follow my lead. I'm trying to live a Christian life. I'm trying to go to heaven. Could you say that to somebody? Or does your walk and what you verbalize, are they in conflict with one another? Are you living in darkness, but you say you're living in the light? If so, you're in trouble. You just have no idea how much trouble you're in. John said if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Let me ask another question. Do you attend Bible study and worship regularly? Let me just make this observation if I could. I think in far too many cases, we get lax with our Christianity. Look, I know, the, I know what the Bible says about coming to services, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Worship should not be viewed as this attitude of I have to. 
It ought to be viewed with the attitude of I want to. I want to be there. Look, we live in a vile environment, a vile world. And the forces of evil are all around us. Darkness is everywhere. John said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So wouldn't it stand to reason that we need to come and maybe get a little bit of spiritual strength and help? A little bit of light to help combat the darkness surrounding us? Now I want you to think about something. I asked a question a moment ago. Is Jesus first in your life? If you don't come back on Sunday night, and you don't come back on Wednesday night, and you never read and study the Bible, you never pray, you're not living a Christian influence, What does that say about your relationship to God? You know what it says? It says you're giving the Lord a piece of your life. And I think sometimes we have the idea that we are a worshiping society. Look, let me tell you what. Being a child of God is not just about coming on Sunday morning and punching our ticket. And saying, you know what, I've done the will of God, I can go back and do what I want the rest of the week. That has never been the intent of God. But I think there are a lot of folks that think that. And it may be that you think that. And you ask the question, how do you know that? Because it's evident. You're just here to punch a ticket. So I ask you, what about, what about your relationship? Where are you? Where are you in your relationship to God? Are you just punching a ticket? Is this just playtime? Is it just about me? It's about living for God. About putting Him first. Let me tell you what. The church exists here for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to God. Each and every one of us ought to have some skin in the game. It's not my church, not your church, not the elders' church, not the deacons' church. It's God's church. But if the church here is going to be what it ought to be, it's going to take all of us, not just me, not just the elders, not just the deacons, not just the Bible class teachers. It's going to take each and every one of us. Young, old, black, white, doesn't matter takes all of us. And if this church is going to go forward and be what God would have it to be, it's going to take you doing your part. And not just me, not just Jared, not just somebody else. It's going to take all of us. So where are you? If the Lord were here today and he pulled out the keys to the building and put them in your hand, how long would the church exist here? Let's be honest. If it were handed to some folks, this building would be boarded up. Let me ask another question. If you're a parent, are you a Christian example in the home? Now think about that. When your children look at you do they see somebody who is living the Christian life? I'm talking about genuine New Testament Christianity. 
do you bring your children to Bible study and worship every time we meet? Think about this for a minute. You only have your children for a period of time, and before you know it, they're gone. If you put baseball and softball, volleyball, whatever, schoolwork, etc., if you put that before, their relationship to God, worship to God, Bible study, whatever, you're setting a bad precedence. And you're sending the message to them that physical, material things mean more than spiritual things. When your children hit 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and they tell you, I'm not interested in going to church, who set the precedence? You did. Where's the blood? It's on your hands. I read a statistic recently, alarming. Did you know that 80% of our young people, when they hit 21, leave the church? 80%, 8 out of 10. Could I ask you a question? Will your child be one of the 8 out of the 10? Let me be very honest and candid with you. We've had a lot of young folks come through this church. And a lot of them have been what they ought to be up through high school, but when they go to college, what happens to them? We've lost a bunch of kids. The world has gotten them. What I'm saying to you is I don't want the world to get your kids. But you have a lot to say about that. Are your children involved in our youth activities? Are you supportive of our youth activities? When something is going on, whether it be a service activity, a fun activity, Bible club, whatever, are your children here? If your children can't drive and they're young, look, they can't come unless you come. So the ball's in your court. You want them to be here, you've got to bring them. In a very kind and loving way, I want to say to some of our parents, you need to do better. I looked out over the audience last Wednesday night. You could rake them up with a comb how many people were here. So I ask you the question, is Jesus first in your life? I don't think he is. I don't think he is. Because Jesus said, by their fruits... You shall know them. Thirdly, where are you eternally? Did you know that you're on one of two roads right now? No middle ground. No in between. You're on one of two roads. Are you on the road that's heading to heaven? And let me ask this question. Have you made your reservations? You say you're going to heaven. The questions I asked just a moment ago, how'd you answer those questions? Be honest. God knows. He knows. You can fool yourself and say, well, you know what? 
not that big a deal. Let me tell you what, God knows where you are. God knew where Adam was, but God wanted Adam to know where he stood. Sometimes God wants us to know where we stand. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. Sometimes it's good to take self-inventory. So are you on the road to heaven? You going to heaven? You know for a fact that's where you're headed? Do you have, as Peter said, an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, reserved in heaven for you? Do you have that? Could I ask you a second question? Are your children on the road to heaven? If you miss heaven, in all probability, your kids are going to miss it. Why? Because you didn't set the right example. Because you weren't involved in their spiritual lives. Are you on the road to heaven? Are you on the road to hell? People don't want to talk about hell anymore. It is, as some people would say, a taboo subject. In preparation for this lesson, I got to thinking about, you know, the road to hell is paved with a lot of good intentions. I don't know many people that in their heart of hearts say, you know what, I want to go to hell. That's where a lot of folks are going. And please hear me. It's where some of us might go if we don't get it together. You understand what I'm saying? Unless we get it together spiritually, that's where we're headed. Now we can, we can gloss over it. We can duck our heads in the sand. We can act like, we can act like it's, not, you know, it's not a problem, but let me tell you what, it's a problem. And we got some folks that are headed in the wrong direction. Look, I'm not, I'm not here to try to hurt you. I'm here to try to help you. And what I'm telling you is, you need to make sure that you're on the right road. Because what I see, we got some folks that are playing with fire. And you may be playing with fire right now. I said a moment ago, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There'll be a lot of folks in eternity, in hell, never intended to go. Had every intention of getting things right, riding the ship as we say, turning things around, starting over, whatever. Never got around to it. Don't go too far. And don't wait too late. Some folks go too far. And some folks wait too late. The real question is, will that be you? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I don't know what else I could say. Then you need to obey the gospel and you need to do it today. As Paul said, today. It's a day of salvation. If you're here today and your life's not what it ought to be and your life's not on track to go to heaven and you look at the lives of your children and you recognize, you know what, these little ones are looking at me. 
And I've not been what I ought to be. I've not been there for them. I've not been setting the right example. I haven't been faithful like I ought to be. And you want to get it right. Let me tell you what. We're here to help. Why? Because we're interested in you. We love you. And we want you to go to heaven. Sometimes we need to get very blunt, very pointed, and just say it like it is. And that was the intent today. Just tell it like it is. Be plain. I'm not doing you any favors if I gloss over and water down the truth of God. It is what it is. So I want to close by asking you this question. God asked Adam, where are you? And God is asking you today, where are you? As we stand and sing.